good news everyone talking futurama is coming back for talking futurama season two part two fresher than a summer ham this podcast comes every friday and if you sign up at the five dollar level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons you can hear each episode as it goes live that's right sign up today at patreon.com slash talking simpsons for five dollars to hear talking futurama every friday throughout the rest of 2020 and also all the previous episodes we've done so far so head over to patreon.com slash talking simpsons now or we're gonna clamp you shut up and take my money i heartily endorse this event or product Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons, the podcast that's listed in the Encyclopedia Self-Destructica. I am one of your hosts, the angry yawner, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, and I was so gay, but I couldn't tell anybody. And who do we have on the line? Uh, my name is Matt Muscles. Will he destroy this episode of Talking Simpsons? Maybe, but we're not really sure. But the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> or is it? And today's episode is Behind the Laughter. Tonight, The Simpsons, as you've never seen them before, on Behind the Laughter. Today's episode aired on May 21st, 2000. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> Oh boy, Bobby, in a very behind-the-music type moment, rapper 50 Cent is shot nine times, but survives. In a very Matt McMuscles moment, Dai Katana is released for the PC. (laughs) And in pro wrestling news, The Undertaker debuts his American badass persona at the Judgment Day pay-per-view. So that was when he became a celebrity of getting shot before he became a celebrity of rap. 50 Cent, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's a shame that history never really got better from then on out. You have American badass Undertaker, the birth of 50 Cent, like that you can't. You can't do better than this year. <laughs> 2000 was the last year. Everything uh, everything was bad after that, for sure. <laughs> so, like, I am not uh, I'm not very clear on this American badass uh, rebranding of The Undertaker. Did he only bury, like, the war dead? Like, uh, he would only bury coffins wrapped in flags. Well, he definitely became a very uh, flag-worshipping guy, even before 2001, though. I mean... Undertaker now is like 100% a Blue Lives Matter dude. That's who he is, and and also and also an exotic cat owner too. So oh, so he's going to be murdered by yeah. one of his pets soon. <laughs> uh, hey, the Undertaker's too tough for that man. But yes, the American bra- badass was his new rebranding because he had been, you know basically a goth uh, tough guy and this was him just throwing that all away and he's like nah I'm just on a motorcycle you call me the undertaker but I'm just like uh, a dude a biker dude now that's a downgrade but he would come out to American badass it is in some ways but it's not in others because of course he had Kid Rock and Limp Bizkit as his theme songs Mm -hmm. and just 2000 (laughs) like you could and plus that's what he wanted like the actual guy the Undertaker like uh, Mark Calloway he's like oh this is what I wanted to be all along this is me the real me how I like to be and like (laughs) everyone hated it and he was bitter at everyone for not liking it uh, yeah, it was weird. And uh, about four years after that, he had kind of re-debut as Spooky Undertaker, but he's like 
still kind of like, no, I have cool tattoos, and I'm still kind of a tough guy who's also in MMA, but sometimes druids with flames will walk me to the ring. Uh, but yeah, the 50 Cent uh, shooting, this was before he was a particularly famous rapper, and then, you know, I think a year or two after this was when the marketing push for him as a, the new big rapper began related to, like, hey, he got shot nine times. Like, Chris Rock had a uh, very funny bit about it that when I say 50 Cent was shot nine times, I just hear Chris Rock's voice <laughs> in my head, which I will not imitate on this podcast. Who are you, Jimmy Fallon? <laughs> oh, he God. got blood all over uh, my sand, this 50 Cent. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, man, I need, we need another 50 Cent game, but I think he's too rich from the water. He doesn't need anything no, else. No, he could be a Fortnite skin or something. Uh, but Daikatana, I know, Matt, you must be fascinated by this as well. We have, they're, like, we can't uh, mention Daikatana without mentioning the ad campaign. Not not thought of by the creator of the game, but the, the classic ad, uh, John Romero is about to make you his bitch. Suck it down. People Oof. people knew the names of uh, first-person shooter directors in the year 2000. This was the, the age of, like, the rock star developers. <laughs> and now I think people just know, like, oh, yeah, Miyamoto and um, uh, Kojima. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, do you know who directs Assassin's Creed games? Can't think. Uh, well, like, uh, sadly, I know who Mojang is, but yeah. I don't want to. But uh, you mean Notch? Notch. So. Yeah. I mean, but he, yeah, he develops like uh, like stomach problems in his candy room. That's all he makes now. <laughs> uh, Unfortunately, when you say the words Notch, sadly, always appears right after. But uh, mm. uh, Daikatan is weird because for that particular ad, even as a kid, I was like, yeah, make you his bitch. That's cool. But suck it down actually offended me. I was like, oh, that's too much. <laughs> and I love DX at the time. We were all about sucking something. Yeah. So uh, there's something weird about that tagline. Like when people talk about it, like suck it down is always like, really? This is the weirder part to me. It's very strange. But yeah. Like, yeah. A marketing executive talked John Romero into doing this. He was like, uh, I don't. I don't know that. I, I think it was not more about it being offensive, but it's like, what is this telling anyone about the game? Like, yeah. this isn't anything. And they're just like, no, no, it's got to be edgy and I'll grab headlines. And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. It would, but then you know, I, it, it's not like it hurt its sales. It's not like someone said like, oh, I'm never gonna buy Daikatana because because of that ad. People were like, I'm never gonna buy Daikatana because it's Daikatana. <laughs> It's yeah, terrible. the reviews told me not to. But yeah, you're totally right, Matt. Uh, people never reference the suck it down part. I think they're just too hung up on the word bitch, which yeah. is in the ad. But it was an interesting time when you could be like, why don't we threaten our customers with sexual violence? <laughs> I think uh, that'd be fun. And they really, yeah, it's the eye-catching ad with well, the bright orange, uh, bright orange background, black text on it. Well, like bitch puts a period on the end of the sentence. You don't need to think of the next thing. Maybe also they wanted to just put suck it, but they were informed like WWE had the copyright on that right so they're like well we gotta add down to it i mean really even in like nintendo power and magazines like they'd always have those really gross ads like around 2000 yeah. like it'd always be really weird like uh jars filled with toenails because yeah. you're I, I don't know the reason why and like they would just have pictures of weird shit like burnt toast or the, the, the even like a few years earlier in 95 the you know the all, all our emotional scars are derived from that one commercial for yoshi island where a man yeah. explodes yes yeah. like it, it was it was the style at the time 
I uh, recommend that people look up issues of the uh, the magazine PC Accelerator, which was basically uh, a lad mag in the U.S. for PC gamers, uh, and it's uh, everything you think it would be. And I'm sure that Daikatana ad popped up in it several times. <laughs> And Matt, you on your uh, video channel, you have, uh, I believe, you definitely have a what happened for uh, Daikatana, right? I do, I do. Mm, yeah, and well, I guess let's, uh, I guess, formally welcome back Matt McMuscles to the show. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. I'm pleased to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the highlight of the season. I think it's the best episode of season eleven. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think you're right. This is a real uh, treat to get to finish up season. 11 and also to have on matt who uh you know you've been uh doing a lot of playthroughs but your one for uh simpsons hit and run has been especially awesome because uh me and bob got featured in it and that's uh, yes <laughs> but it's also just really we like fun. it because we're in it yes the time this episode airs i'll actually have gotten back to finishing that uh, unfortunately um uh the halloween spooky season kind of delayed a lot of work on it because i'm like oh great i legally am obligated that like most videos this month or that month rather uh, need to be you know somewhat spooky theme but hopefully by the time uh this podcast airs i will have gotten back on that and and finished it up because i was enjoying it and you're you guys even in some episodes that you're not in you're still still used as a running <laughs> gag which is great i appreciate it thank yeah. you yeah uh but yeah this uh this episode uh who was watching a lot of behind the music at the time weren't we all i definitely i was watching yeah. it anytime there'd be a new one on vh1 it just was uh, when you could just leave the tv on and there'd just be marathons of this and you could just like be playing you know game boy advance and yeah. just having it behind you and yeah I, like i really feel like this and uh i love the blank years i th i think they really influence like millennial content creators like us where it's like we want to know everything about a subject and then be very clever about it yes. and i think these shows really influenced all of us you know i i hate to admit it but you're right bob these this way of salaciously the behind the music style and the many many imitators their salacious way of explaining the arc of someone's career uh like i think that informed so much about how even podcasters today discuss <laughs> people's careers and on top of that all the i love the blanks like we i think that definitely influenced uh oh, yeah. listicle culture and then podcast culture as well like i've i've used jokes in this particular episode in my what happened videos <laughs> Uh, because behind this, behind the music style shows, this was what informed me about how they were. Because, uh, like, sorry, Canadian moment here. We did mm -hmm. not have MTV. Maybe if you got like a really expensive cable service that could pick it up. But what we had was much music, mm -hmm. which is the lamer, friendlier canadian version of mtv and they could only play like scraps of what mtv could so behind the music wasn't a regular thing like mm -hmm. i never remembered seeing it like on at the time i had seen like one or two episodes like later on but uh of the time of this episode's airing like i didn't know what behind the music was and apparently it went on until like 2014 they must have had phases Jesus. because i just remember it being like they, they made this at the perfect time when the show started in 97 the show was probably written in 98 definitely written in 98 so it was like the time when it was just exploding unfortunately uh, everybody did their behind the music sketch yes. before this episode came out uh, uh, it, 
it's great on the commentary to hear Matt Selman go like, yeah, I know. We know Saturday Night Live and Mr. Show and every <laughs> other show did a behind the music parody and we are late to it. Mr. Show yeah. did one. That's right. Yeah, there's fucking rule. It's uh, this and Mr. Show's one of uh, the Corey Feldman parody. Those are tied as my all-time favorites of the of the parody of Behind the Music. And, and like Zoomers must have no idea yeah. what the fuck this <laughs> is or why the show took this format for one episode if they're going through like Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Ask your parents, I guess. <laughs> but these are all like on YouTube, right? No one's protecting oh, these. Uh, well, some aren't, some aren't. I, so like the full MC Hammer one just on YouTube, like complete. And I watched the Guns N' Roses one. But when I tried ahead of this recording to watch the TLC one, which was a real favorite of mine, especially hearing the late Left Eye uh, just happily describe like burning down her boyfriend's <laughs> house like that. That one, I think it's getting content claimed on the music because you hear their voices and then they try to quiet down the music oh. as much as possible. And it's just too distracting. But uh, there were so many I loved. I uh, But I did look into it. Yeah. So it debuted August 1997 with two of the best they ever did. Like that was their pilot program of Millie Vanilli and MC Hammer. And they're like, oh, they could easily find MC Hammer. But they actually had to do some digging to find Millie Vanilli. And in August 1997, showing a thing that's like, hey, what did ever happen to those guys? They just kind of disappeared. And here's your explanation. And they talk to tons of people and you get fun, salacious stuff of like, I did so many drugs or I had all this sex or just tons of fun stories. And those two were such huge hits. The MC Hammer one was such a big hit. They actually made a TV movie on VH1 based on it. And they even made like a tongue-in-cheek one for Weird Al. I love that one. That's when he debuted his his new look, which is now 20 plus years old. (laughs) Uh, I remember there was a bit in there where they're just like, they said, do you have any girlfriends? He's like, "Uh, people have, even family members have wondered if I'm gay because (laughs) I do not publicly date anybody. Uh, but yeah, the other great ones like Leaf Garrett's one, that one was so memorable that they did a joke about it on Family Guy, that it was a sign that Brian Griffin was very depressed because he uh, knew all the words to the Leaf Garrett behind <laughs> the music. And this actually reminds me a little bit of the uh, the Mission Hill episode about the real world, mm. where it was this like one little bubble of time and the show is like, we've all seen this, right? Mm-hmm. We know all these moments from these episodes, but now people would just be lost but the good thing is you don't need to know what behind the music is to find these jokes funny yeah because there's a million imitators of it too uh, and its style was really like captured uh by pretty much everybody else but the i like to though there were tons of parodies but uh as uh, scully explains on the commentary thanks to his like friendship with the co-creator of the of the series gay rosenthal he was able to just work directly with them like it no here's the real graphics and they just sub in laughter for music and make it look exactly like it with all the sounds like so it is the perfect parody of it with all the right uh signifiers for it and the voice of jim forbes who uh is the journalist he's apparently his first job was a journalist but his voice over is just so perfect he's been doing that for years and years and years and he'll still do a behind the music parody if you hire him for it i think he's uh and yeah so i looked up the history of the show too so debuted 97 
with those first two that actually don't have the Jim Forbes voice. Then they did over a hundred of them after that with Jim Forbes. And they pretty much had done everything they could with like every band you'd ever care about. They even had to do like uh, Behind the Year, 1979 or whatever. And on the commentary, they say the the worse the band, the better the episode. (laughs) Oh, yes. Like the (laughs) Sticks one is very good. Oh, I love that Sticks. Now you're uh, getting all these memories for me because it's all (laughs) about the rest of the band going like, Mr. Obato sucked. Like, we didn't want to make a musical. We're a rock band, and it's just about how much they hate the other guys in the band, which they do perfect with Homer in here of when Marge goes like, I think we had real chemistry. I wanted to fire her every day. <laughs> just to shake things up. Uh, and, and yeah, so they pretty much ended episodes in... They, they stopped doing new episodes in about 2005, then brought it back in 2010 with the remastered series, which was basically just going back to the ones they'd done before and updating them with like 12 to 10 years of new information. Then in 2013, they did their last original one. So two, over 230 mm. episodes, if you count the remastered episodes of Behind the Music. And uh, Gay Rosenthal would go on to create Little People, Big World oh wow okay i did uh, watch a lot of that for some reason yeah she is a queen of uh, reality television and uh yeah i mean this again in 2000 i think when i first saw this i did think behind the music parodies were a little played out even then i'd seen them for like two years straight but i did like this episode uh and it also briefly scared me into thinking it was a secret series finale (laughs) at the very end i think it's also what i took away from it this time it's it's a love letter to the show and also a hate letter yes i love how much it (laughs) makes fun of itself uh and how corny the show can be especially Mm -hmm. in the early years well yeah and uh and man i mean you were still watching regularly at this time and uh you were excited for this season finale when it aired when i like i I would never hear that much about like you know episode episodes being the season finale like i wasn't keeping track or you know uh, uh counting them down or anything so i'd just be whenever whenever the season would be on which usually for me i think was on sundays because again like uh our tv channels were kind of limited like i would always just be generally excited whenever there was an episode on i'd usually tell my my family like leave me alone for like 20 <laughs> 20 21 minutes please because yeah i was absorbing like every episode and like yeah i do have a lot of good memories like i'm sure you already talked about before but like in general because of the behind the music thing wasn't as in- ingrained like it wasn't that familiar with that show i always kind of prefer the uh 138th uh, episode spectacular from season what was that season 10 yeah it was eight yeah and that, oh, was eight. that has more than a little in common with this one yeah <laughs> yeah especially it does, have- but it, it's weird it, i i've never listened to either episode with commentary but like i've always kind of wondered like because the, these are the most fourth wall breaking episodes you could possibly have right mm-hmm. especially the 138th episode because there's no framing device from an outside source it's just it's just troy mcclure just yeah the simpsons is a fake show <laughs> you know but i'm a character from the simpsons so is there any like thought process behind why we want to like break down the show and really sort of 
poke fun of it in in this way like so overtly other than like you know a character winking at the camera or anything like that like was there what was their thought process behind doing it doing episodes like this so before we get a comment it was season seven okay i just want to oh, make sure that's thank out you, there Bob. Thank yes you. Uh, I messed up there. But, but also i think what in, what informed the 130th episode spectacular was the fact that they hated making clip shows so bill oakley mm. and josh weinstein wanted to make a special clip show but also the person writing it was writing it against their will it was a contractual <laughs> obligation that they didn't want to do so it was naturally like you want to you want a show i'll give you a show yeah. kind of thing which is why right. all the clip shows are shitty because they're being done against their will which is why they didn't really do them mm-hmm. well this borders on clip show at a couple times yes like, it's a full i'd love to we've interviewed mark kirkland before but that was before we'd done this episode i want to interview him again because i wonder if this episode like there's less full animation in this one than a typical one, but it seems also much more complicated to do <laughs> animation-wise. Yeah. There's like a thousand cuts in this episode. Yeah, and so many times they have to like hold on an image for much longer, so you have to, you know, you have to, I think, take those images more seriously or that you've got to be even more dedicated if you're going to have, like, okay, it's the 18th magazine cover <laughs> of The Simpsons here. Or when you draw Crestophenia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like whenever the narrator makes an allusion to like, you know, bad news coming, it cuts to like six or seven different objects each time, like a woodpecker <laughs> chewing at an olive, olive branch or anything. There's there's a lot that goes on. It's very quick, this show. It's like very fast paced. And they also had to like fake documentary footage of like, well, we still kept filming Marge as this narration started, but she has to like look at her fingers. So you, how do you time that out? How many extra seconds? of marge just sitting there do you do like yeah it definitely seems like a more complicated one to do than usual my only wish for this episode is that they uh got rid of the traditional opening but it is funny that it goes from that to the opening again yes yeah (laughs) where it kind of fools you into thinking you're gonna watch the opening a second time i guess for fox they couldn't air the commercials the same if it didn't have the full opening and then commercials and then the show The Simpsons will be right back. We promise this podcast isn't full of ready-to-sting bees. And a big thank you to this week's guest, the awesome Matt McMuscles, good friend of the show. Always love having him on. You should check out all the cool videos he does, both on his Patreon and on his YouTube channel. I mean, especially check out the great Simpsons reference ones he does about where he plays through Simpsons Hit and Run that me and Bob have even gotten to guest star on. Thanks again, Matt. And also a big thank you to our listeners this week at patreon.com slash talking simpsons those supporters help me and bob do this as our full-time job and they get so many benefits that you guys listening gotta take advantage of five bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons gets you a week early access to every episode we do of talking simpsons you could be hearing next week's episode right now and you also get that week early access and ad free for our sister podcast what a cartoon where me and bob cover an animated series in the same style as talking simpsons that's a lot of fun and you get access to our many exclusive to Patreon mini series where in podcast form we cover shows as diverse as Futurama, King of the Hill, The Critic, and Mission Hill in the same in depth talk in the Simpsons style. 
We just finished talking about the second season of Futurama, and there's so much more cool stuff to come. So please, five bucks a month, all you need to hear it, if you sign up at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. But if you want something as luxurious as MC Hammer's Home, you might want to sign up at the $10 level to get even more podcasting fun at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Why, in addition to all that $5 stuff, you'd get our monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast, where me and Bob break down a different animated feature film in the same style as Talking Simpsons, often for over four hours, sometimes even coming in close to five hours long. If a movie is as complex as, say, The End of Ava, which me and Bob talked about big time, and that is for December. In next month, we're going to be talking about Dexter's Laboratory Ego Trip. If you checked out the previous months, you'd hear us talk about Walsingrama Curse the Were-Rabbit, and there's a giant back catalog over 100 hours of What a Cartoon Movies. You'd get instant access to all of those if you were a $10 and up subscriber, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And in addition to all those previous What a Cartoon Movies, you'd also get all of that $5 stuff I just talked about. Please consider signing up at the premium level to get everything plus our talking simpson season 11 deleted scenes commentary we put a lot of work into that one and had a ton of fun you want to hear us chat about those season 11 deleted scenes there's some crazy ones in there you can only see that if you're a ten dollar and up subscriber patreon.com slash talking simpson so please consider signing up today Uh, but yes, after the regular old opening, uh, then it comes to our introduction to Behind the Laughter. Surfing a tidal wave of hilarity. Onto the sands of Superstar Bay. But behind the chortles, this funny fivesome was trapped in a private hell. Everybody wanted a piece of us. They told us what to wear, how to dress, which clothes we should put on? The cops found me driving on the sidewalk. I had no business hosting the Oscars. After the show, Meryl Streep spit on me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, the transitions in this are so, like, uh, Meryl Streep spits, mm-hmm. but the spit goes into the Simpsons living room and hits the picture of them <laughs> uh, and knocks it over. Like, there are so many amazing transitions that are just so God. overwrought in this uh, in this episode on yeah. purpose. It's 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 a nice twist because you, you are expecting, like, slow motion, like, spit, like, glob hitting Lisa's cheek, yeah. and you're kind of hoping for that. And then when it changes, you're like, oh, okay, that's different. You're like, no, wait, this is actually better because it sets the precedent for all these fun transitions. Uh, and the way the uh, picture falls, and that's not good enough for them, like, it breaks <laughs> perfectly into four. They're like, no, break it more. There needs to be more symbolism of this. With a hammer with a very long handle. Yeah. And I, I guess... <laughs> Originally, Maggie was in that picture, but they took her out because I guess uh, you can't smash a baby's face with a hammer. Uh, I think they give Lisa like an extra like crack with the hammer. Like everyone gets four and I think she gets five. Uh, and I I think it's supposed to be uh, look like the the be- the meat of the Beatles cover to uh, to that. Yeah, there's God, there's so many things packed in here, like the fake magazine covers. 
uh, though they're, they don't look accurate to me of early Simpson success magazine covers because the majority of them were just Bart. They didn't want the whole family. Though, though the first Simpsons TVD, uh, TV guide cover was the whole family. Mm. But most of them, I think of like the, the not particularly well-drawn Bart that's on the cover of Rolling Stone the first time where he's like surprised. He's like, whoa, I'm getting a photo taken. And then, just giving the people what they want, Bart, Bart by, by the, the barrel full. <laughs> and then they do just the regular music for Behind the Music. And I was like, is this a parody? Because this is really bad. Yeah. And then I went to another episode of this actual show. I was like, no, that's the actual music. It's like, it's like a regular guitar riff while a synthesizer is having a sneezing fit in the background. Yeah, it's uh, so weird. I love it. It's terrible but i love it oh god the uh, also i caught in the times square version Me too. like yeah sorny brand back i'm so glad that and said Sorny. there's also a panaphonics uh oh, sign i missed that That's and then awesome. coming in from the top of the screen is box i want to believe it said magnet box i want to too yes oh, <laughs> uh and marge vacuuming is the first of the many like in universe real clips of the show that are just so great that it's like what were the jokes well marge vacuums homer gets a lobster on his nose like it looks like a terrible show in the show i think it is also like a lot of these people outside of george meyer looking back at the first season and saying why did anybody like this it wasn't very good <laughs> i think they are being extra look you know uh, all this season we've mentioned like oh, they're really feeling the history of the series. And I think it really was writing season 11 during season 10, where also they did the 200th episode right before that. And all of that was like so much press. They like the Fox PR machine was really getting behind a decade of the Simpsons, 200 oh, yeah. episodes. And so if you're Mike Scully and all the other writers who are doing all these reflective interviews in the year 1999, 98, you're thinking about like, uh, oh, let's let's put this to bed or let's let's rest on our laurels and think about this i just love that whenever you see a clip of the simpsons within this show it's always like marge vacuuming bart skateboarding mm. or uh, bart going cowabunga <laughs> just like it's the lamest shit possible but the the audience is like like can't get enough of it Rewatching some behind the musics before this was really helpful too because the lines they're giving Jim Forbes are not even that much crazier than the d ridiculous Shut metaphors up. he has to say. <laughs> the way he says, uh, the way in the Guns N' Roses one, he's like, and the guns were loaded, but were they going to turn them on themselves? Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> uh and all the all the cuts to like uh b-roll or like footage that i don't mean literal bees but like all the just the it reminds me too and it's something mr show i think got even better which is that like the behind the music producers only have access to so many photographs and publicity stills or footage of the people they're talking about and so they have to show the same thing over and over again but from different angles and the mr show one was my favorite of that because they had the one piece of yes. footage of the Corey feldman guy dancing at a music premiere and they played it four times in a row with like different effects on it too yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yes, we, we get the opening and behind the music. Uh, that's where the clip show feel was really coming in of seeing all the uh, the different scenes from previous episodes. And oh yeah, and also Marge's thing of like, they told us how to dress like that. That is almost yeah. every behind the music had somebody going like, and these managers, they were just too controlling. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so yes the uh, the clip packages are done and we get a setup of this weird universe that this episode exists in where 
Springfield is real and all the people in it are real, but Homer and other people write scripts that they then do and film and those are episodes. And people in town play themselves. Yeah. No, it was just I was just saying under my breath that makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah, the reality, like that was a challenge for them. Like, what is this reality? If we do a behind the scenes, like it's not just that they're actors, but Springfield is also real and all the all the people actually exist within the town. Yeah. Like it's really funny that like they poke fun later on, like, oh, uh later uh seasons of The Simpsons degraded with nonsensical plots, or is like the plot in this episode is super nonsensical it's true yeah yeah there's uh we get some quick clips of the family i like seeing marge save her babies and then just giving up on the third one it's like ah, who cares third third one <laughs> uh and then i uh, her saying they almost drove me to fortified wine like that is way that mouth movements are way off that's definitely adr and also that's the same thing troy mcclure drinks mm, when, delicious uh, <laughs> fortified wine uh and uh and yes, then Homer talks about how much he loves television. They're all loving TV. On this unassuming street, two nobodies named Homer and Marge Simpson settled down to raise a family. First came baby Bart. Then Lisa Simpson. And finally, Maggie. Nobody told us how tough it is to raise kids. They almost drove me to fortified wine. Then we figured out we could park them in front of the TV. <laughs> That's how I was raised, and I turned out TV. <laughs> I'd see him sitting on that couch all day long, just staring at that Hollywood hogwash. Our favorite show was Hollywood hogwash, <laughs> but we also loved the Drek Squad. The Malarkeys, thumbing it down. Sheriff Lowbrow, Home Improvement. <laughs> but we never saw people like us on TV. TV families were always hugging and tackling issues. Homer kept saying he could do a more realistic family show. <laughs> Finally, I said, so do it. Either or get off the pot. And he did. Oh, God. I, I mean, that that cut to Bart saying home improvement every time yeah. just makes me laugh. <laughs> it was I was, all- was going to say, up until this point, like, I, I was, you know, giving out sensible chortles at the gags, but... Hollywood hogwash like <laughs> was my first big guffaw of like oh that's that's too, that, I don't know why that's so funny just you think it's every, a... every bit of that is is the way that Ned says it then of course the obvious gag but then when you just start thinking about it a little bit more about what Hollywood hogwash the show would actually be <laughs> it's it's a, it's a dynamite joke to me I I love the slam at home improvement because you feel like these writers are still bitter for just being dominated by home improvement yeah. in the rating where like we have to remind people Simpsons was enough of a hit to stay on Fox but Home Improvement was like number one mm-hmm. Simpsons is like number 30 in its prime yeah well and, after like the first season not to mention you've got the co-creator of the critic which uh, oh yeah got partnered with Home Improvement and and immediately unpartnered from it because it failed I also love when Ned presents the idea of Hollywood hogwash, the shot of the family just slack-jawed, staring at television. Uh, and I definitely think of that, and I turned out TV. I think of that line many times in my we, life. We did turn out TV. And yeah, Bart, uh, I mean, the way Bart is presenting how the characters, like, nobody on TV was like us, that's literally how the show was pitched in, in 89 and in 90. They, they're, they're just saying the, the write-ups about it. I think on the commentary, too, when they bleep Marge, uh, the, the writer 
writers are like they were tempted to just have marge say way more swears because they can bleep whatever in this mm-hmm. and it doesn't break reality of the show mm-hmm. uh and uh yeah so homer writes my funny family which i guess the shtick with this is that it's sort of about how weird the shorts are and how they don't seem mm-hmm. i mean it's not really a joke about the shorts i guess it's just that homer's a bad writer it just feels like they're making fun of uh like 50s sitcom tropes mm-hmm. but yeah this is my least favorite part of the episode because it's just like i wish they're just making fun of themselves more yeah it should just be them reenacting the original shorts or like looking weird and draw or homer homer talking very Boy. slowly and they're like why do you talk like that dad <laughs> though i do like that lisa homer is like putting too much soap in there and, Ma- and lisa does what she always does like hey that's too much soap like ruins a scene ruins a joke uh while maggie does a great job of acting and doing the mama mia face <laughs> and you think this is where See, homer- that's, why I, that's why i like this scene just because because maggie's doing the mama mia look without saying mama mia. i think this scene could have done with like three or four more mama mias i wish there was something from the narrator like and homer found his famous catchphrase because i feel like they're trying to say like oh yeah homer does say mama mia right that's yeah. his thing he does <laughs> just accept yeah that would be great for the rest of the episode anytime doe would have been said in a clip you saw homer says mama mia but we were well into the mama mia era of mario so oh yes yeah i also i like that homer casts everyone as themselves except for bart who he makes his boss that's funny to me and i like that lisa goes like uh i I, it's amazing how fast dad betrayed his vision like instantly that that's when there's the great line of homer saying he was thinking of firing marge every single day (laughs) it's it's an easy editing trick but it always got me in behind the musics where somebody was like like slasher axel slash would say about axel like uh man he drove me crazy and then you show an old clip of axel going like i think the band's working really well together <laughs> like uh, <laughs> uh that's that's something i learned too in those behind the music that even if you are still mad at everybody you have to agree to do it too or else it'll just be your bandmate bad mouthing yeah. you and you get none of the say like that was in the guns and roses one where it's like well, I guess Slash is right. Axel's just an asshole. No other stories about it. They then take the pitch to Hollywood. Uh, there's a pretty good joke of Homer driving seemingly towards Hollywood and then finding out he was driving 400 miles away from Hollywood. Uh, and then it's, it's really weird when they list all the places he took it to to see the ABC and NBC logo on the show. Like, that, yeah, it's strange to see. That. And yeah. Telemundo. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's another just great joke about the locking gates with the guard's neck. The neck is making the noise of a slamming gate. I love that. <laughs> and uh, Marge then is able to pitch the show to Fox because her hairdresser is the president of Fox, which... Is that a reference to John Peters, the famous hairdresser who became like a producer? I bet you're right. I bet you're right. I think I just took it as a general like diss on Fox being a a low rent network at the time. But yeah, I bet you're right. It's an official joke about that. But I mean, yeah, the it does speak to the real truth that Fox was a small enough network that it would really give just 13 episodes to an animated series in 1989 like nobody done that before though i guess it would make more sense if you showed the mr moneybags version of jim brooks there (laughs) uh, and doing it but we get a nice uh rupert murdoch slam though at least 
Those make me so wistful. We're like three years removed from the Rupert Murdoch era Fox now. There's like nine more evil billionaires to worry about. So Uh, He's so old now, too. I thought he died. (laughs) Is he not dead? No. No. But his career is. (laughs) I mean, we are are two months away from this episode airing. I won't play the anti-death jingle because he's a monster. (laughs) I'm saving it for somebody else in this, so I I don't want to play it. But yes, yeah, it's... uh, He's 89 years young at the moment uh, that we're recording this. Uh, Will he make it to 90? We shall see. I bet he'll have another wife before Uh, this all ends. (laughs) I can squeeze one in there before I die. (laughs) His wife only 35 years younger, so uh, good for her. Oh, wow. That's uh, relatively old for a uh, billionaire wife. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so they sign the deal and there's uh, a great gag about the Hysteria Ward going crazy for Bart skateboarding (laughs) and just the women hosed down is so (laughs) funny. Uh, And obviously it's not the Beatles version of Twist and Shout. I couldn't see what it was. My gut tells me it's NRBQ. I thought that too, but it turns out they never covered it officially, like on a release. Okay. Though Mike Scully, one phone call, he can get them to cover twist and shout just original for the simpsons you guys need beer money come on down (laughs) that's so they're so lucky that the beatles covered a song like twist and shout and everybody knows it as a beatles song but you can just pay for the twist and shout from the not beatles people even do a beatles reference without spending the millions of dollars to use a beatles song and uh, i also it did make me laugh that like bart a decade later is referencing the t-shirts that kids wore to school of him yes and uh, all of the comma man uh sayings <laughs> yeah. when um so like uh, i think when we did bark it's famous bart of darkness maybe didn't have his instagram yet or maybe didn't uh, wasn't as public with his collection because i i remember seeing it much later and then noticing like oh bart does say man a lot <laughs> like any any product is just like it's not toxic man like <laughs> and then uh later on like maybe a year ago uh, uh, that guy on Twitter, the guy who posts all the Secret Simpsons stuff, he was showing like, oh, I, I got the Simpsons, like, here's how you promote the show kind of package from Fox. And in the in the rules, it says uh, Bart Simpson does not say man. He says dudes. Oh. So I think they were tired of all the marketing saying blah, 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 <laughs> man. Oh, that's great. So I love that. After like 1994, I think it was like, no, Bart says dudes. It's all inclusive. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think of it as like a uh, a, a woke choice there. That's funny. I don't think it is. <laughs> he would say y'all now. Accidentally <laughs> woke. Yeah. Now that uh, yeah, all of those man shirts, I I can see by 1994 when they make that that guy. I I appreciate him very much for spending whatever money it costs to get that like official syndicator packet of rules and ads and stuff. And there's like, I like how there's an anti-choice Bart Simpson shirt. That's great. Officially yeah. licensed. <laughs> uh, that all the rest are him just stealing somebody else's catchphrase. Like You, you, you bet, bet your sweet bippy. That's great. Comma man. Uh, that life begins a conception one. That's fine. If, if I could ironically wear that without with while also wearing like a Planned Parenthood hat to make it clear <laughs> this is ironic, I, I would I would consider wearing that shirt. I, I posted a, a two clever tweets uh, during the first presidential debate this year where uh biden's shut up man that became a t-shirt so i posted that alongside of the guy holding up the high man t-shirt and you know what the joe biden shirt was also 30 bucks uh, what a ripoff exactly and then uh, lisa has a cute little line about getting invited to so many birthday parties she'd have to read the cake to know who the, uh, she was singing to uh that sounds like the 
kid version of the bits and most behind the musics where they're they yeah. just brag like i had sex with so many women i didn't even know who i was waking up <laughs> to or whatever also i didn't know bumptious was a real word i did not i had to google that one but uh, the bumptious, what does bumptious mean uh rocky yes yeah uh, but that sounds like a real Harvard. These Harvard guys showing off their Harvard knowledge. Uh, also in this uh, first act here, we get to see how a, a hilarious running gag was born. I first knew the show was a hit when I walked into school and a kid was wearing a Bart Simpson t-shirt. Fox had an endless supply of clever slogans, man. <laughs> Suddenly I was invited to every birthday party. Sometimes I'd have to read the cake just to know who I was singing to. The Simpsons was a smash. Viewers couldn't get enough of the show's fractured take on the modern family. The funniest stuff came right out of real life. Son, let's go out for frosty chocolate milkshakes. Cowabunga, dude! And cut! Dad, I've never said cowabunga in my life. Your script sucks. Well, you little... Hey, that's funny. And that horrible act of child abuse became one of our most beloved running gags. <laughs> I think that moment is where it, it hit me of like, me too. I guess it is fucked up that, that it's strangling <laughs> Bart has been in the show for a decade. It also for the reason the crew that are watching it transpire, like it's not like someone watching on TV go, oh, it's fake. It's the crew really there watching this act of child abuse take place. Yeah, that's funny. I, I like how they underline it as child abuse and then they cut to like the assembly line of all the Homer strangling Bart figures. Uh, yeah. But I honestly feel like somebody on the staff was really mad that there was this idea that Bart said cowabunga because like on a season two commentary, they are all shocked to hear Bart actually say it. But he actually says it in a season one episode. The Telltale Head is the first time he goes cowabunga yeah. when he's in, skateboarding. In a very straightforward way. It's just like, oh, well, Bart is that moment feels like well, Telltale Head is so recut and so uh, ADR'd that I think they're just like, what? This scene of Bart skateboarding is kind of boring. What do we goose it with? Well, just have him say Calabunga. But him saying Calabunga also is like, it just felt like they knew that the Ninja Turtles said that, so Bart would say Yeah, he it. just copies <laughs> what he sees on TV. Yeah. They definitely were very defensive on a lot of those commentaries. Of like, they, they, they put it on all of the t-shirts, but Bart never said Cowabunga. And that's why they would, you know, in jokes, like in Summer of Four Foot Two, they joke that Bart hasn't said those kind of things in years, but he did unironically say it at a certain point and then like cowabunga that's the spirit yeah <laughs> uh and homer saying his old frosty chocolate milkshakes there is pretty great uh and uh then when they talk about the simpsons getting so rich that them rolling around in money is a top gif I oh love yeah gif. yeah this killed me because I remembered what was coming up. I was like, oh, it's it's the two pets uh, also swimming in the money. But I completely <laughs> forgot about the goldfish gasping for air on top of the money. Like I, I, I laughed really hard when that when I saw that again. All, right. all the pets are rolling in dough. <laughs> You're right. I think that goldfish has left out a lot of the gifts. I forgot about that, too. 
And also, I just love the idea of regular toilet paper becoming dog toilet paper. It's just so... <laughs> just the, the idea that dog toilet paper exists. Yes. Uh, obviously, they must have hired someone to use the dog toilet paper on the dog instead of... Uh, the, I, I don't think Marge is uh, using it. Uh, and this is also where I learned that you use toast points to eat caviar. I'd mm. certainly never... I think I've probably had caviar once after this. And to me, in my low-rent palate, I just saw it as like salty goo. But uh, I think also, too, they said they had a real conversation about like well wait does lisa eat caviar because that's she's a vegan and or ve vegetarian and they said like well this is a flashback so it's before mm. she's a vegetarian i think she would maybe still eat eggs i don't know she said she ate cheese which mm. disgusted apu but I think she'd still eat eggs. I think she's uh, an egg-eating vegetarian. Uh, and then we get jokes about MC Hammer's house, which yeah. that was the major takeaway from uh, the first band behind <laughs> the music with him. Just the insane hubris of, like, I bought a house up in on the hills so the poor could look up at me and aspire. And this yeah. was happening in Oakland, right? Uh, yeah, actually in Fremont, in uh. the Fremont area. I, I looked it up, Bob. If you want to take a uh, hour-long trip, we can uh, take Ooh. Go check it out for ourselves. It still stands. The It got bought by somebody else uh, 23 years ago, and I think it has two other owners since. But uh, at least based on Google Maps uh, photographs I saw, the MC Hammer house still exists in Fremont, California. I like how it's like, well, the Simpsons are moving to California, so the house is helicoptered in. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that it did say Hammer Time on the gate, and uh, Homer smashing it into Homer Time is pretty funny. That rules. And I mean, that also is in the Mr. Show sketch, too. They say they talk about buying a house on a hill above the poor people so they can <laughs> look at them. But I get it from MC Hammer's perspective. If you watch his special, like he is, you know, a very religious guy. Yeah. who also talks about his um, how hard he worked and how he wants to inspire people. I, I don't think that's like fake, but I do think he misunderstood the hubris of having that kind of mansion above uh, the, all the poor people in, in, in Fremont. It's in pretty misguided. It's like he deserved to fail. <laughs> <laughs> it's why everybody remembers it, like, honestly. But, but yeah. best rap about the Adams Family to date, I think. Yeah. I haven't seen the new one, uh -huh. so I'm not sure if it's if there's a better rap in that, but uh, I'll say there probably isn't. Uh, there was another clip in the behind the music with Hammer that made me like him a little more which is it's a a clip from him talking about his money problems on oprah in like 96 or 97 and she asks like so when you say broke what do you mean he's like look i'm naive he makes sure to say there's real people who are really broke i am not really broke but i have a lot of taxes i need to pay and i gotta sell my house but please don't worry about me like you'd worry about uh, actual people with real problems so I liked that. I at least like seeing that. Uh, there's They don't do as many jokes in here about what really seemed to cost MC Hammer a lot of money, which is he befriended way too many people and was too nice to a giant entourage of people that just like ate all his money. You have to decide how big your posse is going to be before you become rich. Yeah. <laughs> you have to establish that early on. <laughs> you got to keep it on a lockdown, man. <laughs> then uh, the Simpsons, how big are they getting? Well, they've got their own album. Yeah, I've seen all the overnight sensations. Grand Hall. Rich Hall, Rich Little, Little Richard, but the Simpsons blew them all away. They even had a hit record. Meanwhile, Crustophenia sits on the shelf. <laughs> None of us had ever sung before, but Mr. Geffen believed in us. <laughs> We're gonna prove tonight, we'll make you 
Simpsons Boogie, lovely to love your lovin'. And Simpsons Christmas Boogie went mega platinum and swept the Grammys. Right, and the award for best hardcore thrash metal goes to... Simpsons Christmas Boogie. <laughs> For America's favorite family, everything was coming up roses, but those roses contained ready-to-sting bees. When we come back, I want to set the record straight. I thought the cop was a prostitute. <laughs> That was before Ozzy Osbourne uh, redefined himself as a stumbling man with dementia, screaming his <laughs> wife's name. <laughs> That's right. Because I know, you know, what he looked like, you know, back in the day. But like my my only thoughts, like, yeah, he has long brown hair that's like very straight and wears his little glasses so when i saw this guy pop up i was like that's not ozzy yeah. osborne <laughs> that's and like, i was like oh wait it probably was circa when they were animating this maybe i, th- I think that bad thing is also from behind the music because like, i didn't know it was a real bat. yes i yep, just bit yeah. his head off yep that's right uh yeah i think i think that's supposed to look like 80s ozzy like yeah definitely that's right, the cocaine right, right. 80s ozzy yeah the the osborne's wouldn't premiere until uh uh, two years after this, but uh, I, I have one thing though. Yes. Like, so uh, they're definitely making fun of how bad the Simpsons albums are. Yeah, well, and, I'm bringing up Mr. Geffen, David Geffen yeah. by name, who did release the Simpsons album. Yeah, and it was his idea. Like, I'm gonna make them stars, mm-hmm. music stars. Uh, according to Matt Selman, at the end of this episode, he says that uh, Simpsons Christmas Boogie was based on the BTO uh, version of Taking Care of Business called oh, Taking right. Care of Christmas. And I would like. <laughs> to play this up until the uh, uh, refrain here Henry because it is so low effort oh god okay <laughs> it's the time of year again to get some paper and a pen oh. and write your Christmas letter to St. Nick <laughs> send it to the North Pole to his workshop in the snow and he'll put his house to work There you go. All right. All right. <laughs> and I think it's like everybody uh, wants to write a Christmas song because you want you want to get a hit Christmas song because then it's played every year for like 40 years. Yeah, yeah you get millions of dollars every like that is your forever money there. If you can if you can score the next standard, that's it. But that but is so Mariah Carey is going to be famous in a thousand years. Yeah, she'll be just that Christmas person, Mariah Carey, Saint <laughs> yeah. Mariah Carey, the Christmas creator. But yeah, just a, a very lame uh, variant on an already lame song, That's, which is what yeah. Christmas, Simpsons Christmas Boogie is. I'm surprised uh, there was not, I guess uh, Simpsons Sing the Blues came out uh, in the fall of 90, so it could have been like a Christmas gift. Oh, it was the Christmas yeah. release for sure. Yeah, we. Uh, I think many, if you didn't get it on launch day, you got it as a Christmas gift for sure. That was, that was uh, we talked about it on that podcast uh, just a few 
few months ago but yeah it was a huge push to get that done in time for christmas also because uh geffen records they had a contract ending with warner and warner was like we want to release this get it out by christmas but man that bto who they were guests on the simpsons just a few episodes ago that taking care of christmas is so lazy it sucks and they're not even trying it's like taking care of christmas it's just like so flat (laughs) i especially like that seemingly they're saying that santa claus is taking care of christmas but then they say but then they say every day which is like no that's the (laughs) point it's not it's just one day (laughs) god that a lot of it's done via magic yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah, he he is not working overtime either, I don't think. The elves are, but not him. The this song has many flaws. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you're right. Also, like, Bachman doesn't sound like he can even get too up for it. He's like, and to working overtime. Like, he's not, He's he doesn't care. This is a hungover recording. <laughs> uh, and uh, Crustophenia, that's a reference to the Who's 1973 album, Quadrophenia. I feel like this podcast is just going to be explaining references, but... The Ozzy one, not only the biting off the head, but the anger at this Grammy Award is a reference to the 1989 Grammy Award. Oh, really? Okay. Because 1989 was when they introduced their first ever heavy metal category. Because, you know, through the 80s, a lot of music guys were like, God, the Grammys are so stuffy. They never give it to young guys like Metallica. And so they created, they'd never win the rock section. So they created the heavy metal one pretty much so Metallica or other bands could win. And so Metallica was nominated everybody is sure they're going to want metallica is certain about it the first presenters include alice cooper and he reads that the winner is jethro tull oh you're right <laughs> and metallica to this day is furious at jethro tull <laughs> for beating him even jethro tull in interviews the the people in it were like we don't know we didn't want to win it this is we <laughs> it, and so it turned the grammys that's one of the many reasons the grammys are a joke but it was Alice Cooper presenting it, not Ozzy Osbourne. You say that now, but wait until there's a podcasting category. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably lose to NPR every year. Some That's year wolf thing. <laughs> that uh, I also love that rose analogy that he could just say those roses had thorns, but instead they contained ready right. to sting bees. I, I noticed that as uh, the show increases, they get they get crazier and crazier. So like the metaphors start off pretty you know basic and hacky, but then they get more and more tortured like soon we're gonna have fire hoses of respect but then they get even more crazy after that like how they just gently amp it up yeah uh and also homer's thing is exactly it is a parody of many of the behind the musics where the rocker goes like tries to explain away why they got arrested with a sex worker for some reason but homer yeah just straightforward he thought the cop was a prostitute the end when they come back from the commercial break, we get more funny graphics of sex, fade, millhouse. <laughs> then we come back uh, to show that it's an international hit. And I do think, you know, the British, I've said it many times, they love The Simpsons. So seeing the queen herself yeah. watching it. Spinning was out her TV dinner. <laughs> and, uh, and that it's a, it's a lobster pinching Homer's nose that makes her laugh extra. That's great. <laughs> and uh, also the fire hose of respect is that's just a funny line in that it's a fire hose of cheerleaders shooting homer into the air (laughs) 
Uh, and so, yeah, the Simpsons are so big, even Santa and the Pope get ignored. But as all behind the musics do, the second act is where you start to show the cracks forming. And uh, that's what happens in this next clip. Oh, Holland was spending money like a teenage Arab. <laughs> he bought me a Rolex and uh, cashmere jeans. I felt kind of guilty because I was always trying to squall with his wife. <laughs> so when do we start filming? Oh. <laughs> Even Bart was throwing dough around. He paid me and Carl a thousand bucks to kiss each other. Hey, did we ever get that money? But reckless spending and interracial homoeroticism were just volume one <laughs> of the Encyclopedia Self-Destructica. <laughs> great, that's great. That's why I led with that. Yeah, that the Encyclopedia closing is good enough, but it has to explode too. That's uh and also seeing the words interracial homoeroticism on the page is so great. I like too this is the scene where in the MC Hammer one, it's his barber. Like that's the weirdest thing. Like one of the talking heads used a lot is mm. his barber, who's like, I was his closest friend, his longtime barber, lived in Oakland. And he's just saying he spent money on this, he spent money on this. He should have known the trouble was coming. And that's Moe's role here, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and Lenny and Carl, uh, this is not the last time they will make jokes about them uh being sexually attracted to it, one another. It feels like the first time. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is uh usually they are commenting on how a woman is hot together which is the opposite of kissing each other for money <laughs> and then not only do they show the encyclopedia exploding but then they have to give you a jack-in-the-box of scare too like right That's after that. with the with the month of april on a calendar <laughs> popping out of it that is hilarious it doesn't even matter that it's it, like this thing happened in april but it's like it happened in april yeah ah. <laughs> Uh, and so we then see the gorge joke, the classic Homer gorge fall from a whole nother angle as Bart has been. He was apparently in the kayfabe of this. Bart was supposed to do the fall in the script, but he was too tired from making people kiss all night. <laughs> and and so Homer took the fall. And this gorge fall was definitely one of the funniest earlier moments, but I think so much so many things have eclipsed it that uh especially by this point in time, that it's weird that they would go back to it. I feel yeah. like there have been funnier things, but I think internally they're still in love with this. And Al Jean's there, of course, and George Meyer is there, so they're still remembering this as like the funniest thing they did in those early years. It sets a uh, precedent for all like the yeah, the physical abuse Homer, like because if you think about like every time he did something dangerous or stupid like it's it's it sets up the rest of the jokes like oh this is when his crotch kept getting hit by uh hills on the on the snow ski slope or uh, everything else so i think like you have to have that in there if you're gonna have like a little two minute bit about all the uh punishment he endured so yeah i think on the first uh clip show the april fools one yeah they mentioned that like this was in every clip package they do like every clip on tv they'd show it which is crazy too because like it's supposed the whole point of that joke is what if a character took a wily e. coyote fall except had re but they had realistic damage yeah and the <laughs> most the blood like, maybe the bloodiest we've seen homer like most realistically it's hurts so yeah. extreme yeah it's uh, it's our like as a kid uh, at at nine when this was on my tape 
I would fast forward through the scene or look away because the damage to Homer was too grisly for my little nine-year-old eyes. So I have some shocking uh, facts about this. This is the second oh. time they have reanimated parts of this scene. So if you remember in the original clip show, so it's come to this season four, they add an extra scene of Homer. What you actually see what happens to him after he falls out of the ambulance. In the original <laughs> episode, you don't. That's the right. kids are looking down and you hear him. But in the clip show, they add a scene of him falling down the uh, the cliff again. Again, while bandaged in this one for whatever reason they reanimate the original falling down the cliff animation because i looked it looks newer not only that but the big telling evidence is in the original clip uh, from season two you can see the blue sky behind homer and in this one it's brown ah, and but i do brown. think that they reused uh, the same drawings to make this but i don't know why they reanimated it they yeah. they were using clips in this episode i have no idea why but it looks like they're using the same like layouts or whatever i think it's i think it's traced over maybe it was that in that shot it is angled at a different angle yes that too so maybe they're like well wait we don't have the we don't have lines here for this angle so uh maybe just read just trace it and redo it but it, yeah it is it is strange that they've reanimated it three times or twice now then homer gets a pain pill addiction which is uh, meant to be a reference to jerry lewis and chevy chase like comedians who took pratfalls and then uh, found out that yeah. like oh my back actually hurts in, in a lot but but every behind the music has the addiction bit like that's why i'm glad i watched the guns and roses one because that one literally is like Every person in it is an addict. Like every every single person. Because they, for some reason, Homer got addicted to painkillers yes. while showing you the visuals of like a thousand pills landing perfectly in his mouth. It's just <laughs> it's just such a good uh, marriage between a visual and an audio gag. And this is when opioid addictions were just for celebrities. Now they're right. for everybody. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Homer. Homer was a trailblazer. Yeah. I, I also like that they uh, for a lot of the montage of homer's injuries it's a lot of scully episode stuff because i think they really homer took a lot of beatings in other seasons too but i think the cartoonish violence really uh went up from season nine forward i think especially because yeah. bill and josh i think were trying to tamp it down in their season and i think uh, uh, merkin liked realistic violence like oh, yeah. realistic and painful not cartoony <laughs> Uh, well, though, in his se seasons, they did do the one where Homer is, uh, which is in the clip show of him holding the wrecking ball and getting crushed between oh, the yeah. wrecking ball in the house. Uh, and Homer's great line, like, what was even more like a drug was the drugs. drugs. <laughs> uh, and then we get a cute little American Beauty reference just to mark that this was written in 99. So fresh at this point in yeah. time. Black and white footage of a floating paper bag, which was everywhere. Uh, and... Then we get a joke about the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Me and Bob, we've walked that Walk of Fame, though we didn't look at Mac Ratings, I don't it's, think. It's filthy. Don't go there. Yeah, no, don't don't ever. I don't think, uh, Matt, have you ever visited Hollywood? Um, yeah, no, I uh, once, never again, after <laughs> after the first time that I was on the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I forgot what, what celebrities, uh, stars we saw, but I, I did like a fan meetup around that time. There was like a, I'm not sure if it was a Dave and Buster's, but it was something, so... So just like five minutes out on there, I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was it's just one of those mystical kid things like, you know, growing up watching The Simpsons and other stuff. You're like, wow, 
the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but it's like it's not in the you know it, it covers a lot of not great areas too. So oh yeah, well I'm there's your... probably also like an armed militia around Donald Trump star. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, well yeah, and you're also surrounded by other. Uh, for me, when I first visited L.A. and got to see the Walk of Fame, I was surrounded by other goofball tourists who were like gawking at it. And I was like, oh, I feel I can't act like them. I feel like I, I'm better than them, so I can't just gawk at it. Did you immediately go and put your hands in Mar uh, Marilyn Monroe's handprints? <laughs> uh, you know, I've never gone that close to the, uh, I guess now it's the TCL theater, mm. but uh, it was Grauman's then. Uh, yeah, also I was shocked to see that it took Matt Groening until 2012 to get his own Walk of Fame star, which uh, was done to commemorate. They did it around the 500th episode. That was the uh, the marking time. But, this, but the honeybee of Cheerios still doesn't have his own mm. Walk of Fame star. His own star. <laughs> Is he still getting play, uh, like on boxes and TV and whatnot? Mm, you know, I don't see him on the boxes, but he's still there. He's not. He's not on for all those Cheerio spinoffs. Like it's <laughs> always Honey Nut that he's there. Are there? Is there any cereal mascot that has the Hollywood? Like if it's not the Honey Nut Cheerios, be it, I mean Captain Crunch, maybe I kind of mm, doubt it. I mean, I put Tony Ooh, the Tiger as the most famous. I think he's yeah, the, not man, the man. Tricks Rabbit. Uh, nah, I, I don't Can't see that. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know people have the most passion for count chocula but he's he only got to work one month a year you know mm. <laughs> i i appreciate more the uh the the honeybees or the tony the tiger who puts in the work all the time well i also know that tony the tiger is still very active in the commercials because uh when i put on that cartoon network app to watch like craig of the creek i have to see the same like tony bring out the tiger commercial for frosted flakes i'm, I'm reading here that in 2011 honey nut cheerios was the best-selling cereal in the United States, and I have to ask, what's wrong with what people? What the hell? Maybe like babies it, eat it. It's because it's fine. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's not offensive. It's not. It's not like weird. It's it's completely normal. So I can imagine that yes, it would be the best-selling <laughs> one by that regard. You know what I mean? I also think ninety percent of a baby's diet is just a, a baggie of Cheerios. That too, yeah. <laughs> so uh, and maybe with Honey Nut, you don't feel as like sugar guilty as an adult if you're like, oh, I can't eat cinnamon toast crunch anymore. It's too unhealthy for my adult body. But a bee kissed every one of these O's with its sweet <laughs> mouth, <laughs> uh... with its ready, to, ready to sting stinger. <laughs> um, just, just as a little segue um into honey nut cheerios there's like this like new type of honey, uh cheerios um it's called like honey carve not harvest crunch but it's my now it's my favorite all-time cereal Whoa. and it's it just um, it's it's super super amazing if i could just look it up in a second but like i just really need to pip this cereal because uh oat crunch oat cheerios crunch. oat crunch um yeah. There's two flavors, one with which is oats and honey, and one which is uh, a cinnamon, and it's amazing. It's oh, like man. it's hard to describe, but it's a lot of added oats to the cereal, and it's not too sweet. It's very very crunchy. It's just I had this and I was like I could literally have this cereal for the rest of my life. Sadly, oh, it's man. not readily available in Canada like it is in some spots. But yeah, just want to give Cheerios Oat Crunch a shout out. Use the uh, promo code McMuscles <laughs> at checkout. I wish, uh, I wish. Get on the phone. Someone get on the phone. With General uh, Mills for me, please. I I appreciate your views on this, Matt, because I know uh, I've I've seen your tier lists for cereals, and I I agree with 
them. I think at least 80%. I agree. So yeah. And like I see people put like raisin bran and I'm like, are you 80? <laughs> raisin bran is S tier. And it's like tournament level street fighter players. And they're like, they're like, Oh, there's no, there's no debating this. I'm like, yes, there is. <laughs> there's, I mean, raisins alone. Like, yeah. Hey, and I look, I like raisin bran fine, but it turns into like a gloop. That's the thing. It, it mushes too much. You gotta That's, go. You gotta eat fast. <laughs> uh, well, uh, then you can't you can't savor the raisins. But but uh, all right. Anyway, enough serious talk. Um, it then cuts to Skinner. I feel like you can tell the age of a Simpsons fan if if they're gonna bring up money stuff. If they say Skinner's pickle man line instead of the finger thing. Ah, uh, pickle man. Yeah. yeah, doesn't pay the pickle man. Basically, the same posing as the finger thing means the taxes. But I think if someone's a younger Simpsons fan, they'll use that reference over the finger thing mm. means the taxes. Uh, but yeah, Lisa talking about how they were, you know, we were making all this money, but I was like always strapped for cash. Though that was why I love the TLC one because it was so eye-opening to me that they talk about like i never realized until then how much money the record company takes because in, right, in, yeah. in it they say like people say you guys sold 10 million albums how did you not have money and they're like well we got 10 cents off of each album and then we paid taxes on it and i was like wait people pay 10 dollars or 20 dollars for those cds you get 10 cents of that what what a scam it's such a shame the napster destroyed the music industry yeah oh yes yeah uh, but yes, where did the money go? Why did I take such punishment? Let's just say that fame was like a drug. But what was even more like a drug was the drugs. But despite their mounting problems, the Simpsons star continued to rise, like a plastic bag caught in an updraft. It was such an honor to be on the Walk of Fame. I mean, there we were with Hollywood royalty like Milton Berle and Nelson Mandela. <laughs> And just a few stars down from the Cheerios honeybee. Awards and honors are great, but they don't pay the pickle man. We were earning millions, but we were always strapped for cash. One time, Lisa bought a first edition of Susan B. Anthony Man. Her check bounced higher than Rubber Girl. Where did the money go? Marge lost much of the family fortune investing in birth control products. <laughs> I learned something. When people reach for their diaphragm, they don't want to see my picture. <laughs> I, I love, love the, the finger. Yeah, uh, that's so great that Marge not only is selling diaphragms, but also ones that judge women for using it. Because were you to were you to use it, you're having sex, and Marge is judging you for that. Like, hey, uh, <laughs> gentle uh, I love Comic book guy's nameplate just says comic book guy twice. <laughs> oh, that's that is great. <laughs> that's my yeah. name. That's my job. <laughs> Uh, and uh, you can catch in the background, they drew in an Iron Giant figure. Oh, cool. A I little, missed that. Yeah, it uh, was shout out to Brad Bird's movie, which had premiered the November before this episode aired. That was November 99. This was May 2000. So a shout out from... They lost a lot of... Uh, if I, I said it a lot in our Iron Giant podcast we did, but 
a part of the brain drain uh, or the talent loss for the animators was when Brad Bird left to do Iron Giant, he took like a handful of the best dudes working on Simpsons and was like, no, 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 your animators on Iron Giant. You're coming with me. Hmm. But uh, I like that Mark Kirkland had a, had a little wink towards his old buddies there. Yeah. And most behind the music's the where do the money go answer is like they invested in a restaurant or they wanted to do a music or they had insane music videos that spent too much money like uh the in the guns and roses ones it's like axel rose wanted to be the star of movies so they oh, spent God. like five million dollars on november rain but, uh, then they get uh, they show just like literal posters that were sold of the simpsons yeah the classic uh then like every character poster from like 1996 or 97 with mm. the with the yellow background everyone crammed together i love that poster yeah I, I can name everybody in that poster <laughs> i think yeah that was one of my favorite times uh with my mom at universal studios when we went to the springfield section at the crusty burger they have that sign but then it's just outlines and and numbers it's like okay can you name that number and my mom would just say like all right 127 i'm like i don't even need to look at the picture i can just see the outline boom that's who that is like i i was the king of the dorks that day <laughs> and your mom thought you were cool yes yeah she said as much when i she photographed me sitting next to the millhouse uh standing oh my there God. she's like we, she thought we were both cool that your day. mom burned you <laughs> uh but yeah i do i do like wiggum's remarking on the cast as well in this next clip as the simpsons money dwindled their expenses soared from the original group of five the cast ballooned to dozens then hundreds i'd never acted before in my life but uh if the sea captain could be in the show why not me i've even got a catchphrase yeah now i lost it <laughs> it's like the penguin i guess yeah he became burgess meredith's penguin there yeah uh and then we find out i i like that the dramatic reenactment is trying to hide who apu is but his accent and the it being in the quickie mart makes it extremely clear who yeah. it is and his silhouette really you, yes. could, you could hide the background and the voice but the silhouette's still very clearly apu <laughs> and uh yeah the the owing back taxes thing it definitely comes out a lot in behind the musics i mean the, there's the willie nelson one that is all about that also chuck berry they they talked about that too chuck berry had a lot of problems uh but i do think simpsons do so many irs jokes that i think occasionally do come from the fact that these are rich hollywood producers who are mad they pay taxes i think i think, I think so. a little bit of that but uh though let me say that the simpsons kind of uh it gives you a it might trick you into thinking that the government goes after the american government through the irs audits the very rich quite a lot not the case i uh, you guys should just look up this ProPublica article uh, about like IRS, sorry, but it's just easier and cheaper to audit the poor is the name of it, where it's like, yeah, with if you're auditing poor people, you send them a letter in the mail and they're so terrified they send you money. Well, meanwhile, if you're going to audit a super rich person who they have, they know every trick in the book, they can afford the count accountants who can hide everything. So, and also the IRS has gone through a bunch of budget cuts that they don't have a lot of the prosecutors who, oh, uh, coincidentally, they'd be the one enforcing it on rich people. So that's weird, right? But don't 
don't let the Simpsons trick you into that. Or guys. let's say if you run a leftist organization, you might oh, get yeah. audited. <laughs> you might get audited quite a lot. Yeah. If you're, say, the Democratic Socialists of America, you might get audited every single year. Just, you know, accidentally. Uh, but I do love the IRS taking everything from Homer, including his nipple rings. The <laughs> the ripping out of nipple rings, that makes this again feel like a very 2000 joke of like, we all remember men could have nipple rings Just then. Just the very idea. Yeah. At least it was like, they came out clean. It wasn't like ripping off his nipples. Yes. Yeah. Seeing yeah, he Homer, really flinches when they come out. <laughs> seeing like Homer drawn with visible nipples is weird though. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I like how long they hold on him crying. I'm just like, wow, the person <laughs> filming Homer just like zoomed in on his crying. I like there's a lot of great jokes in here about like bad editing like that. You I wonder, too. Again, I want to talk to Mark Kirkland. Like, how do you animate bad editing to look correct? Like how like when they zoom in on the flower, they can animate it better of just showing a bee coming out of it. But instead they cut to just a bee on a red background. That's like how you would film it poorly for bad editing. I wonder how, just how many stage directions were in the script, you oh, know, yeah, just because yeah. there's so many visual things happening here. And uh, then we get a parody of a couch gag filming, which is a real one from season eight's the Homer, they fall uh, the cowboy jumping away couch gag. Oh, right. Right. And one thing I wanted to uh, mention, I forgot to mention it up front is that uh, this episode was not written like a normal one. There was no like draft that one writer wrote. It was like a collaborative effort. Oh, yeah, so there, right. there are four writers on this script that were just like kicking an idea, kicking it around for like however long it took to write. So there was not one guy who came, brought this to the table to rewrite you're right yeah it does feel a lot more room written they uh they really talk up gamble and pross who aren't on the commentary uh as as huge parts of that but yeah you're right that i think that's why too this is just uh, a collection this feels much more like a episode long sketch than a normal episode where a person had a draft that then they rewrite uh and i do like the joke too that bart is at the certain level of sitcom level fame that he'll be offered teen wolf <laughs> which, uh, which famously like michael J. Fox did the first one and hated it and then the second one they can't get him back so they get Jason Bateman who at the time was a sitcom kid actor. The Hogan family? Yes okay. yeah and so the idea that like well who would be in Teen Wolf 3? Bart. If Bart was Jason Bateman he'd be <laughs> in that. Uh, and I also like that March tells Homer to poop in his hat when uh, Lisa brings up child labor laws and I love the Kang and Kodos they're trying to be professional but they just can't take it anymore. They're, they're tired of waiting around to film i love that they have ballet tickets not that they'll do any good now <laughs> uh and uh so then comes a joke that i don't like that uh i think is i what, think uh, it, trashing tom kite uh, yes yeah no they when okay i'm totally cool with the show making fun of itself like that's yeah. cool but i think it's only fair you can only make fun of episodes you worked on and if you make fun of an episode you didn't work on then you're attacking other people's work i i would have respected them so much more if they had cut to so the 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 uh the setup for this is like gimmicky premises and nonsensical plots and seymour goes i am an imposter and you see the clip from principal and the popper that is that is in bad taste i say yeah. that's that don't do that if they would have cut to mod flanders dying my respect would have like soared through the roof at this point in time they knew how hated it was mm -hmm. and they could have immediately reacted to it with that clip totally 100 that you just take that out and put that in there that joke works 10 times better i mean definitely in the year 2000 
people were calling it the online fans were saying it was their least favorite and if you ask like harry shearer and matt Groening on the record they said that was a bad episode or i think that episode was a mistake and and poor bill and josh and ken keel yeah they're not there to defend themselves yeah. but yeah i think they were trying to uh distract from the fact that they just came off like three of the most polarizing episodes ever that spring uh-huh. and we're just like well this is written way in advance but they could have changed the clip but i feel like don't don't do this guys if i was bill oakley i'd be pissed off and he probably is let's yeah. ask <laughs> yeah because i i i obviously laughed at this but then i did not know about the like who wrote what obviously so yeah that that is kind of in, in poor taste do you think they could have like uh maybe not got their blessing but like say hey we're gonna do this gag or, or do you think fuck it let's just do it you know it's possible it's not yeah. like they never talked to each other right I, I could see it being brought up to them but also you know it's uh i could see them not knowing not that. doing yeah. right. from, from like 1997 until the airing of uh mod's death I, I it was common belief that like oh yeah principal and the popper worst episode ever to the mm-hmm. point where people still believe that but i know like on when i was on the internet as, as soon as mod died that eclipsed anyone's hatred of principal and the popper oh, yeah. at least within those communities yeah when you're seeing this in may 2000 and you're reminded of armentan and you're like i can't believe i was ever mad about this yes. you guys just killed mod you like, made me appreciate that more now <laughs> uh but yes uh nonsensical episodes are brought up in this next clip with the family in disarray episodes increasingly resorted to gimmicky premises and nonsensical plots i'm an imposter that man is the real seymour skinner Trendy guest stars were shamelessly trotted out to grab ratings. If you are looking for trouble, you found it. Just try me, you. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) But there were bigger problems off screen. After judging a Miss Hawaiian Tropic beauty contest at the Sheridan Haleakaluilea, Bart created a ruckus on a Hawaiian airline jet, attacking several flight attendants. While he was in rehab, the part of Bart Simpson was played by his good friend, Richie Rich. Bart, what do you mean you have jury duty? Don't have a cow, mother. Fans reacted to these slapdash episodes with yawns. <sighs> angry yawns. <laughs> oh, the angry yawn is like, oh, it's great. I love it. Uh, so I I always forget that Bart goes to rehab in this, so that Bart had yeah. an extreme drug problem as well. And like coming out of the, the plane with his like pants unzipped, some real oh. like lascivious behavior was going on. Oh, man, yeah. The Well, also, I've said it before, and this will be the last time I say it about season 11 because this is the uh-huh. last one, but, like, the horniest season. The horniest season. Like, Bart surrounded by those Hawaiian Tropic bikini Oh, my bears. God, yeah. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is the most boob-filled season of The Simpsons there ever was. I think they calm it down a little in season 12, but my goodness. that uh, I feel like that joke with him being a judge is that – the, my first thought that was a joke about david faustino that i feel like he's the type mm. of dude who hosted like wet t-shirt contests like the real bud bundy uh though i feel like if they'd written this joke like one year later they'd replace hawaiian tropic with girls gone wild and i think they at least updated their jokes where they're not doing like the you know child stars robert liquor store kind of thing yeah where they yeah. could have easily done that especially with gary coleman they have gary coleman references in this episode yeah. and then to show him on the commentary they note that like gary coleman was happy to be paid a second time for an appearance on the show 
I think too Bart's arrest is a reference to Paul McCartney's pot arrest in Japan. I think uh, that happened in 1990. Uh, but yes, the uh, the Richie Rich drawing too. Another note: they draw his clothes to be green because then it counts as a parody. Oh, 10 percent different. Yeah, even though they just call him Richie Rich. <laughs> and uh, sadly, that charting of the ratings is kind of accurate to what happened to the show. Though I think it never pretty much it like. It, if it was going to be super accurate, it would be up super high season two and then a sl slow decline just from then on. And then a sharper decline in like 2000. Uh, but yes, then the family heads over to the Iowa State Fair. I really love the poster design on that. Like the, it's so great. A state fair is the perfect like kind of washed up but semi-respectable uh, place to go mm -hmm. for, for these celebrities. Well, yeah, and you're around all the hicks in Iowa. Like, that's that's great. And, yeah, this, this bit about the one bad gig that destroys a band, that's in so many of them, too. Like, the, the Guns N' Roses one, they're like, and then we were doing a double show with Metallica. Metall and James Hetfield got set on fire by a bad pyrotechnic, <laughs> so we needed to do the full show. But Axel couldn't do the whole show because his voice was screwed up, so he just left, and it just caused a riot. And we knew it was over then, man. That happened in montreal by the way that oh. right like it was i was, a I was gonna say like that like, led to a, a ban of any in indoor pyrotechnics for wrestling shows concerts i'm not sure if it's still in effect but you know that a lot of people in montreal dislike metallica because of it wow i didn't know that metallica is blamed for ruining all all explosives indoors from then on man well you know like not you know it's not their fault obviously no, no. some people were like boo metallica you ruined it for everybody <laughs> uh well you know if, if axel rose had just heard his voice a little more and sang that night they no one would remember that uh i wonder now you know once montreal can finally have anything indoors again they'll be like let <laughs> yeah. everything off who cares Just blow it up <laughs> uh but yes the family has a meltdown in iowa hello iowa does anyone have a donut <laughs> now homer this is no time to be thinking about food yeah forget the donuts we're here to go nuts musically that is what kind of song should we play Something that swings with the beat of New Orleans. No, something that rocks. That's the sound of today. Swings. Rocks. Swings. swings. Rocks. Sadly, this argument was not <laughs> part of the act. I'll kill you. I'll kill you don't you. have the guts, little man. Folks, we're just having a little family tiff, if you'll just bear with us. Oh, shut up. Always trying to act so mature. I'm glad you make the least money. Oh, that's it. Stop it. Stop it. You get on it. This actor's arguing over money thing makes reminds me of the mod uh, firing and what happened there. It's fresh in their memories. And Jimmy Carter's comedy breakdancing is great. Yeah, yeah. On the commentary, these writers talk about, like, we still get checks for these very, very tiny songs, like Simpsons Christmas Boogie and the Jimmy Carter comedy <laughs> breakdancing song. Like, literally 40 cents. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, not, you know, we're recording this in October. Hey, a long, we wish a long and healthy life to uh, to Jimmy Carter. I think we need to redefine the uh, the anti-death jingle. If you're just mentioned or not actually in the show, <laughs> you, you you deserve to die. No, I'm not going to say that. But we, we can't ward away 
away your death. Our powers are only to kill. Uh, the, you must be voicing somebody on the show. <laughs> that argument joke is so great because Marge still says it in a presentation like, no, there's something that swings with the beat of New Orleans. But then when you know it's not part of the <laughs> script, it's like, well, then why the, her saying it that way makes it even funnier. And you think it's going to go swings, rocks, swings, rocks, and then it's going to play up into a song. But yeah. no, it's an actual argument where a husband is telling his wife on stage, I'll kill you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Uh, after the breakdancing, fantastic slow-mo animation of the head exploding, like the, the fake head falling to the ground and breaking. Really well done. <laughs> My fa- I, I had to rewind this joke about three times after this. My favorite line of the show, the dream was over. Or was it? Coming up, yeah. was the dream really over? Yes, it was. Yeah. Or was it? No, I've got it here. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know if you got it, but that's my favorite whole line of this. The dream was over. Coming up. Was the dream really over? Yes, it was. Or was it? And Homer finds a new passion. Dusting and polishing mixing boards. <laughs> when Behind the Laughter continues. <laughs> and that is always like everybody you see who just is no longer a musician is a producer now. Yes, and that's like the yeah. last thing. It's like he's producing this band you've heard of. <laughs> Uh, I love at the end of all of those because they're just like, and then band's new thing is this. And you just hear them singing a song that is not that interesting to you. But then they cut to the band going like, and this is the best stuff we've ever done, man. I'm <laughs> telling you, we're back on top. Or it's like, I think there was like a flock of seagulls one where it's just like, yes, we'll sing I Ran So Far Away. This is our hell that we live in yes. now. <laughs> and this is all we'll ever do. You just accept. Yeah, no, the, the mixing board shot is so perfect. Like, because it is if you get access to the people for the interviews in the show i think they always were like no show that i'm not a loser i'm still making new music and here i got my home studio huh a guy who doesn't record music couldn't move this knob up and down could they (laughs) also that cut to the um payphone off the hook i feel like that was used multiple times in the show too in the real show yeah they said that was a real shot that they were stealing from the original show I think it like indicated, but Selena would never answer that phone call or something like that. Uh, and this is the line, uh, the like, uh, where where is he? What are what are they doing? Uh, like the one you just referenced, the one you just played. Sorry, because there's so much to that line that I always I always stumble through it. But that's the joke that I've used in like what happened episodes like twice. I'm just like, <laughs> eh, I'm just using it again. It's too good. It's so fun. It's just so yeah. like you and you test yourself like how many times can they just say or was it? <laughs> yes, it was. Or was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was all over. But was it all over? Because that is that is the when you watch like five behind the music's in a row, you see the trick. You see that they all tell the yeah. same story every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like the cheapest act break. Like it was all over for Guns N' Roses. Or was it? Coming yeah. up next. It <laughs> pulling, wasn't over. <laughs> pulling the pieces back together. Yes. It's just like, yeah, there's more show. I understand. <laughs> we we all know these people are dead. You've been talking to them in current day. Also, so. it's it's nine forty seven. The show ends at ten. Yeah. I, I know what tv is like 
another compliment I want to give the animation team is that they followed the rule of behind the musics that you can tell every interview is filmed the same day. So it's always the same place you cut to. Hmm. So all the Bart ones are on a playground. All the Lisa ones are in front of her desk. All the Marge ones are in the backyard and all the Homer ones are like on a set. He's, I think he's in that mixing studio, isn't he? Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. It's like the mixing board is right off. Yeah. Those are some of my favorites. So like the dude sitting back in his chair next to the mixing board going like, and I just couldn't control them. There was cocaine <laughs> everywhere. They come back from commercial break, and I like this time in the in the graphics. It says the word graphics. <laughs> I, I <laughs> just like a blink and you miss it kind of thing. And I actually just like straight up love the drawing of the characters in a recording room together. Like it actually feels like the voice actors in character. It's really cute. But uh, but yes. The show was on fire. That was the the the. the uh, actually, I got the clip okay. here. This is great too. Fox put the show on hiatus and replaced it with hidden camera footage from the dressing room at Ann Taylor. That slugfest <laughs> at the state fair was really a blessing. It gave us a chance to pursue solo projects. I returned to my first love, the legitimate theater. As a young female artist, I really love living in this East Village loft. <laughs> oh, that must be our new landlord, Mr. Stingley. <laughs> Where is the rent? I must have the rent. Dollars, dimes, and nickels, I need them all right now. I literally chewed the scenery. Huh. The other family members were also spreading their creative wings. Bart replaced Lorenzo Lamas in the syndicated action series, Renegade. If Esposito thinks he's gonna muscle us, he's wrong. I hear that, Renegade. Let's do this thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, this is the first time I had heard of Rent in the, in oh, the year 2000. Yeah. So I was like, whenever, uh, you know, Rent comes up, I think of Homer's song. I think that's what the, <laughs> what the musical is about. Not that it's about AIDS. This is four years before the Team America joke. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's my a- sister was was obsessed with Rent around this time. So like I was like, hey, look, there's a Rent joke in there for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Rent spoke to a certain I, I've seen many great videos or testimonials from people who are just like, yes, when I was a teen, I loved Rent. And as I grew up, I realized that this is not how uh, being an adult actually is. There's a great uh, Lindsay Ellis video on Rent that says everything you need to say about it's it. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. No, and uh, also the uh, essayist David Rakoff, uh, the late essayist, he had a he had a great speech about Rent and how much he hated it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, that the idea that the Simpsons version of Rent is that Snidely Whiplash comes <laughs> in and demands the Rent, Mr. Stingley. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, on the commentary, Mark Kirkland shouts out uh, assistant director on the episode, Matthew Fawnin, for animating it. I saw Fawnin in season 18 had become a full-time director and still is one of the the full-time directors. Talked about him in 2035. (laughs) Uh, But yes, also, I forgot I didn't get the clip in there, but like, but now the wing was on fire and the prayer had been answered by Satan. And then like fake stock footage of a man in a devil costume running around. That's so great. That (laughs) is such a great extra joke because it's about how behind the music was cheap and could just use public domain footage from like some 1940s silent uh, or 20 silent video of a, of a guy in a Satan costume. I love that. It looked like it was fake colorized too. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's so many layers to that. I love, I. this is the kind of like so many extra details 
and packing in of jokes that a lot of this season was missing i feel like and it's it uh it makes this one stand out i think at least in the imperfect in being a perfect parody i also just love the image of homer that he saved the scenery that he literally ate and took <laughs> with him that's and he's just staring at it happily <laughs> and uh, the show renegade i did not watch that either it it apparently went off the air in 1997 which i guess fits for bart being on the show he had a native american sidekick but not this uh black woman sidekick ah. i think that was the added joke we're just like well there's another minority he <laughs> another works minority with minority sidekick <laughs> There could have been another sidecar attached to her sidecar, so he's got like three people with him. <laughs> uh, and uh, meanwhile, Marge is singing it up. Marge put together a nightclub act. I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. Oh my gosh. She didn't do it. She didn't do it. So the next time you see a sheriff, shoot him. <gasps> A smile! Good night, <laughs> She didn't do it! She didn't do it! Lisa sang, too, in a tell-all book blasting the family. To prolong the run of the series, I was secretly given anti-growth hormones. That's ridiculous. How could I even get all five necessary drops into her cereal? What? <laughs> I, I like how uh, Marge cannot carry this on her own, so it's just like just Marge and friends in parentheses. <laughs> but that good. I love the, any joke where an audience reacts in horror to an obvious like kind of cute line setup. Where it reminds me of uh, in the the Octopus episode, this baby's got a fever, <gasps> dance fever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that one especially Marge. The, her thing of like shoot him, and she's doing a finger gun. And she and then she pulls back like a smile. Uh, and then also the, like the idea of bastardizing a, a Bob Marley song especially yeah. is just so awful and and also the gag of it being Laughlin like the this is a joke about a Vegas act but this act isn't too good for Vegas so the next thing you'd say is like Reno and I was like nope not good enough for Reno or Tahoe either it's Laughlin level like that's how unfamous or how <laughs> low rent this is uh and it is also perfect like Lisa would be the one to write the tell-all and uh, like I think this is the the joke of where are my residuals taught me that word as a uh, as a viewer which that is technically the main gripe in a lot of those tell-all books from sitcom actors of just like I made less money than other people like uh, definitely the residuals complaint the original Star Trek actors yeah. and Gilligan's Island actors they started in shows that were not hits at the time and then became giant hits in syndication and they got no money from it and it was a it was a problem for them for a very long time they didn't go for the parents stealing the kids money either joke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are several kids at this point who had like emancipated themselves from their like parasitic parents did you also know that former child star Alyssa milano her mom is still her manager oh mm. I, <laughs> I just found that recently like wow really you can't uh, that explains that, a lot that's the opposite of emancipation in that case uh but yeah lisa a homer 
outing himself is pretty great too i like that then we cut to the thanksgiving dinner i like that abe is the one who sits it up sets it up and then you get to see abe and maggie awkwardly posed at the kids table that's so cute (laughs) though screw up in this episode blue haired lawyers hair ain't blue i don't like it real mess up this must be a reenactment (laughs) yeah you're right they couldn't they couldn't get him they had to get somebody else uh and gloria allred who is that well a uh, shrill fe- feminist attorney that, according to the uh, caption according to the show yes i mean definitely that joke is of the 90s era of like aren't feminist man haters kind of joke but uh she she was usually representing a lot of people who sued uh over sexual harassment and whatnot yeah. and like in more recent years she worked with the victims of bill cosby and donald trump and harvey weinstein and bill o'reilly uh some criticisms of her says she's more into being in a famous and as the person representing those people but eh, i mean she's she's going against the bad guys i you can't i don't blame her for that but they also regret speaking of bad coloring they regret not putting her in a red dress which she normally right. is in for for appearances the homer's talking thanksgiving turkey just makes me sad for uh, not eating one this year <laughs> be eating your turkey alone <laughs> i'm gonna make the same size of turkey and just eat it me and my husband just eat it over the next like um, rest of november although we're in december now in this podcast you're listening to did you infect your racist uncle you could have <laughs> uh, don't, don't pass oh by this time you probably went to his funeral <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> given how the virus works <laughs> Yeah, like uh, our Thanksgiving is like this weekend, and then thankfully both sides of my family, like my wife's side and my, and my family side, they're all like, "Yeah, I fucking stay home." Yeah, that's <laughs> we, <good. laughs> we don't even care about Thanksgiving that much, so you know, d- don't worry about it. Like we're all fine, and I'm like, okay, good, because I like okay, because in Canada, like Thanksgiving is certainly a thing, but it's not nearly as big as it is in America, so it's never usually that big of a deal. I force my American values onto my uh, fiance. We celebrate American Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. as well as Canadian Thanksgiving. When I move, I get two Thanksgivings. Oh, God. I'm You're jealous. like, wear the pilgrim hat. <laughs> I better see buckles on your shoes. Oh, and on your hat. Yeah. Uh, so then comes in the thing that happens in a lot of behind the musics, but not all of them, is the reunion. Like, some of them would go to the trouble of, if we can get you guys in the same room, let's reunite you like that happens in the leaf garrett one for example they reunite him with a man he disabled through a car accident that he caused Hmm. and it's like whoa they're meeting each other for the first time in forever like uh some of them at least tease like hey slash would you get back together with him uh, with axel and they're like no i wouldn't but they would in 2016 they actually did reunite but uh but this time the reuniting is done by a guy who had his own behind the music in 1999 one willie nelson and i will because he's 87 yes play the official jingle it's weird that they draw him with red hair because his nickname or yeah nickname was the red-haired stranger but maybe like that ended in the 70s yeah <laughs> king of the hill drew him with accurate hair yeah but, uh i guess because they're gonna do a pippy long stocking joke that's why yeah. uh but yeah the the idea that willie nelson went to college with hibbert it does make me go like how old is hibbert that's weird uh but obviously that doesn't it's it's a silly joke it doesn't really make sense but we get a phony award show joke about 
how anybody would show up to an award which i do think is a joke about how simpson staff if they got they would go to any award show they were nominated for and uh the fake awards are to promote awareness yeah the new awareness or <laughs> oh god i love bark Just going general awareness yes uh and bark going like i had to think about it for about a microsecond <laughs> but yes willie nelson reveals that it was all a trap thank you taco for that loving tribute to falco and now to present the award for most violent rap group homer simpson hey. and marge simpson what what's she doing here and bart and lisa simpson hey what's going on well, I'll be honest. The new awareness awards are all an elaborate sham. What? I knew it was too good to be true. <laughs> so this whole thing was just a trick to get us back together. Well, I'm also trying to patch things up between Van Halen and Sammy Hagar. Huh. But the main thing is for you folks to stop this silly feud. Isn't that right, people? <laughs> hug! Hug! <laughs> hug! <laughs> Pippi Longstocking joke. That's great. That I forgot. I I, I goofed up there though. I should have had the clip of like, would his fence mending eggs bear fruit, or would this olive branch be torn apart by woodpeckers of this trust? <laughs> Those are uh, accurately rendered woodpeckers as That's well. That's good. That's good. I the idea of fence mending eggs bearing fruit <laughs> was such a ridiculous. Yeah, they really uh, uh, top themselves with these uh, tortured metaphors in this last act. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yes, in case you're very confused by references to Taco and Falco, which sounds like a food in a Smash Brothers character. I, I know what Falco is, but I didn't know Taco was a real performer. Yes, yeah. He's the guy who did Putting on the Ritz, the 80s version mm. of it. He is still with us. And uh, Falco did Rock Me Amadeus, and he tragically died in a car accident at age 40 in 1998. Oh, that was Rock Me Amadeus. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it actually is fitting that in the year 2000 taco would do a tribute to falco and as of this recording uh eddie van halen passed away yeah it's uh, sad it's all sad. the people who are worse than him and didn't die by the time of this recording <laughs> really upsets me uh man yeah so uh yeah it's as uh, sammy hagar and eddie van halen they were on the outs when this was written in 99 in 2003 sammy hagar did rejoin van halen mm. but then they'd have a disastrous tour where it, they broke up like double broke up like worse than they broke up the first time in 2005 uh, apparently because eddie van halen fell off the wagon during it and so after that one it became this big divide of like sammy hagar and bassist mike anthony they do their own thing while eddie van halen and alex van halen continued the van halen band replacing mike anthony with eddie's son on the bass hmm. uh, but as was revealed sadly when eddie van halen passed away in october sammy hagar said that he had actually reconnected with eddie this year but they didn't want to tell anybody Aww. because it would it would make people think a reunion could happen but sammy hagar knew van halen's situation and he was like well no there's not going to be a reunion but uh so yes tragic tragic ending for that it in the like 2008 recorded commentary 
they're like, oh, they're on the outs again now. So they they laughed at how it was still true. Uh, but then we come to the end. And I, I, this was what I talked about, like for real, I thought this was the series finale when they, when Homer said, this is the last season for just a moment in my viewing for like one day, I thought, is this really the end of the series? Uh, and in this clip, I'll play it in a sec. The, the last clip, they say Northern Kentucky, which is what it is in the DVD and on the show or in the streaming version too. Uh, but I. I swear on my VHS version in my area, it was Massachusetts. It was okay. Southern Massachusetts. Yeah, they recorded quite a few variants. Yeah. They said uh, some were Southern Missouri. Some mentioned Oregon. Another, they said in one place it was Small Island of Lanai. Because <laughs> they didn't want to uh, lock it down to any one place. But, uh, but yes, here is the final happy clip. The Simpsons' bitter past was forgotten. And now the future looks brighter than ever for this Northern Kentucky family. <laughs> we put all the craziness behind us. And now it's time to get back to what mattered, the show and the Sunday comic strip. Which Homer writes himself. So you know it's great. Well, you little... So whether choking their son or poking some fun, the Simpsons <laughs> will keep on gagging for years to come. I can't believe it. We won another contest. The Simpsons are going to Delaware. I want to see Wilmington. I want to visit a screen door factory. This will be the last season. <laughs> Next week on Behind the Laughter, Huckleberry Hound. I was so gay, but I couldn't tell anyone. And they use that entire Delaware setup in the next season for Simpson uh, Tall Tales. That's that's the first thing you hear <laughs> in that episode. It sets up a trip to Delaware that's before so they great. have to take the train car and hear all the tall tales from the hobo. That's so... I love how a variety of media has never... Like, mostly throughout the 90s, but I'm sure it's bled into other decades where it's just Delaware sucks. Yeah. No, we're like, in like, Delaware. It's like Wayne's World. It's yeah. like Wayne's World. It's like, we're in Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> just Fight Club taught us that Delaware should be exploded because that's where all of our credit <laughs> it's all is the kept. Credit places. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. They don't pay no taxes. <laughs> uh man. I also love like whether choking your son or poking some fun. fun. Gagging will like that fits in with choking. Gagging will continue. And but, as far as I could tell, there was never a Sunday comic strip. Ah, uh, there was. Really? Actually, for real. Okay, I, I couldn't find anything on this. Ah, uh, well, fortunately, not too long ago i saw bill morrison uh comment on this on twitter oh my god did they make him draw all of them <laughs> well definitely the bongo team worked on it so yes in the year 2000 there was a simpsons comic strip oh shit uh, and it was only in sundays and so bongo which was the comic book publishing arm uh, as Bill Morrison recalled on Twitter, this is his version of events, I'm paraphrasing, in the United Kingdom, they okayed a Simpsons comic strip. And so like, okay, only for the United Kingdom. It'll be in their funky newspapers. But then a U.S. press syndicate was like, hey, we want this Simpsons comic strip. And so as Morrison put it, it was drawn to be a two-thirds of a page big. Like, it was a huge chunk of a Sunday comic page full of not just a comic strip, but also, like, activity stuff. Like, it was meant to be a silly, fun thing. But because it was so huge, 
if a newspaper in the United States got it, it kicked off like three other comic strips at least. And so when newspapers did it, he said that the locals were really pissed off that their favorite comic got kicked out for this Simpsons comic. So it turned out to be very unpopular in in the markets that got wow. it in the US. And by the when the year was over that was the end of it and it never got an official collection you'd have to scan newsprint to have any of these saved that's crazy so i guess they were thinking like well yeah this will probably run forever this new yeah. thing that's happened i thought it was just some bongo bashing i i think it is a little bongo bashing though you're right bob of the writers the way bart said that it takes me back to tim's story saying like oh those comics suck like but these writers didn't go to an ivy league school <laughs> but uh, but i was shocked to find out that when they make this joke in 2000 there actually was a sunday comic strip i think i got pissed and when i saw that as a youngster because i was like hey it's not in my neighborhood i don't see a sunday comic strip these are lies and i was still a dedicated sunday funnies reader but uh well in the last bit about huckleberry hound me and my me and my jocular pals would say that many a time to each other. I was so gay. So uh, what element of Huckleberry <laughs> Hound is different in that drawing to make him not uh, an official drawing? I don't think drawing? any is different. Yeah, I think it's... Well, Mark Kirkland worked on Hanna-Barbera yeah. stuff, so I think he actually uh, helped keep it on model. I was like, how is that a parody? It's just the character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but hearing him say, I was so gay, even though I'd say Snagglepuss is the gayest of... If I if you got to pick the gayest Hanna-Barbera character, I think Snagglepuss is gay. Yeah, Huckleberry Hound's just an Andy Griffith uh, ripoff. Yeah. He's straight as an arrow. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But, <laughs> uh, Andy Griffith's wife is dead, really? Oh, I right. I don't think so. I think that's a cover. This uh, handsome bachelor sheriff. <laughs> uh, but, yeah... That was a really fun finale to a weird-ass season. I think that the punchiness of this season of going crazy works perfectly in this parody setting. And, yeah. and also in strange timing to this being our Christmas episode, this episode will take you out with Chris Simpsons Christmas Boogie just like the episode <laughs> does. So. Yeah, I feel like uh, the mean-spiritedness and punchiness of these seasons, uh, it's more palatable when it's not applied to like the reality of these characters. It just a lot more fun when you're removed from that so i think it works the best here mm -hmm. well yeah, man any other uh, any closing thoughts yourself when, when i saw this at the time i i forgot to uh throw this in when you were talking about it uh, originally but like yeah i got kentucky for i, I remember very specifically kentucky was the uh, the uh, city that canada got i guess <laughs> in the rebroadcast uh so i i even then i was like oh that's just a dumb gag because this isn't a real episode you know so yeah that that shouldn't hold any any weight but until you guys just said it now i had no idea that other regions got other and it makes total sense uh, uh other regions got to others or other cities to throw everyone off the scent i guess <laughs> i i really liked when you said like the the, the reasoning for this whole episode was like oh we kind of have to do a clip show or the 138th spectacular i'm sure it's a little bit of that in here too um that they have kind of you know we can save a bit of money by having a few clips uh a, a lot of these jokes like i haven't watched this particular episode in quite a long time but a lot of these jokes were like you know i i had a really good time uh watching this one in particular and like i said i've i've reused stolen jokes wholesale from this episode in my own work as i am <laughs> one to do a lot so um i i really enjoyed it and i mean season 11 it's like after you know i want to say two three more i'm sure we've talked about this 
in, in the past, like whenever I've been on the show. But it's like I don't think it's that far out where I like I started catching episodes less frequently and less frequently, like you know, so, somewhere around season 11, 12, 13, something like that. So uh, going back to this particular episode was uh, a nice blast from the past. Now, yeah, we thank you so much for yes. for joining us again, Matt. Uh, this was so dense and full of references that we had to, we were going speed at, at lightning speed but just to get it all in mm. uh but but matt thank you again for coming and i mean where where can people find all of your great stuff uh thanks for so much for having me you can find me on youtube do that matt mcmuscles um we've already referenced it once or twice but i do a series called what happened looking at you know uh video games with tortuous development cycles or movies or consoles or etc and i also am currently hopefully finishing uh <laughs> my kind of narrated where i sort of guide your hips through simpsons hit and run which uh i think i talked to you about uh i think i talked to you guys about this specifically it's like man going back to that game joke wise authenticity wise it still very much holds up, but mm. in terms of like actual minute to minute gameplay, ugh, Simpsons hit and run just it, it loses steam after you play as like Lisa and after that, and that's like the third level. <laughs> and after that, it just kind of goes downhill. It's just very repetitive and, and just gets hard to the point where it's just not enjoyable. Usually when you're a YouTuber and you make like a series and you start saying like, yeah, this is getting a little rough you kind of anticipate everyone telling you how wrong you are and, you know, get good and all the associated things that they yell at you. But <laughs> I was actually kind of shocked to see the amount of people. It's like, yeah, you're getting into those missions that were when I replay a hit and run, I stop playing hit and run. I get to these <laughs> certain missions. So I feel you. So that was, that was a nice change of pace, but and yeah, you can also find me uh, on Twitter at Matt MacMuscles as well. Even even so, uh, Hit Run is like uh, Dark Souls compared to Space Mutants or any of those older ones. It's yeah. like a, a stellar, oh, yeah, amazing no. game. <laughs> Definitely. Like, even the Super... Like, I'd still rather play uh, Space Mutants on the NES than, like, the Super Nintendo or the Genesis ones. Because those were just, like, not even... Barely games. Mini They're, games. like, a bunch of mini games, really. And it's kind of... I, I thought one of them wasn't. Like, oh, no, it's an actual level, but the, uh, level-based game. Then I was like, oh, God, that's Krusty's super fun house is what i'm thinking of it still <laughs> boggles my mind as how that was even greenlit but whatever uh man but that but thank you so yeah, much thank man. You, Matt. we'd love to have you back in another in the next seasons we do thank you so much guys so thank you so much to matt mcmuscles for being on the show check out all of his stuff and as for us if you want to check out more of our stuff and get all these episodes one week ahead of time and ad free please go to patreon.com slash talking simpsons sign up there you'll get just that but also access to everything behind the five dollar paywall that we've made since the very beginning of this patreon three and a half years ago that'll all be yours the second you sign up and that includes all of our limited miniseries the most recent of which is wrapping up now and that's talking futurama season two part two we are doing the back half of futurama second season using the talking simpsons format and that is only on the patreon along with all of the other existing episodes of talking futurama it's all waiting for you right there for five bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons but if you sign up for 10 bucks a month you get all the five dollar stuff of course but also access to one mega long podcast once a month only for patrons of that level or higher and what is that henry why i'm talking about the what a cartoon movie every month 
we do a what a cartoon movie which is us covering an animated feature film in the same way we cover the simpsons or other cartoon series on our what a cartoon podcast but it's only once a month in full for our ten dollar and up patrons they get to hear often over four hours of us talking about a different animated film as varied as Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, or Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, and a huge back catalog as well. Over a hundred hours of exclusive extra podcasts in addition to all the $5 stuff if you sign up at the $10 premium level at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. And my other podcast, by the way, is Retronauts. That's a classic gaming podcast about old video games. You can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts. Sign up there for two exclusive episodes every month that aren't on the free feed. Henry, what about you? Why, I'm Henry Gilbert. Follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I'm sure I'm uh, wishing you all of happy holidays on there right now if you follow me. And of course, please follow the official Twitter account of this podcast at Talk Simpsons Pod. You stay informed whenever cool stuff comes out. Free feed, Patreon, exclusives, polls, all that stuff. You're in the loop if you're a follower at at Talk Simpsons Pod on Twitter. So that is the end of season 11. Before we move on to what we do next, we're going to give you guys in the feed our full-length episode of What a Cartoon Movie about the Iron Giant that's coming to you to wrap up 2020, and we will see you next week. snitch that's assault that is assault it was the best thanksgiving ever i mean emotionally it was terrible but the turkey was so moist